Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce my guest, I want to talk a little bit about what I've been watching and listening to this week. I watched the whole four-part series, um, the, Nights, the Hunt for the Night Stalker on Netflix, really, really well done uh, by the IPC company. Um, I had those guys on the podcast early on, Eli Helsman and Aaron Sedman. Um, it was just, you know, if you love true crime, it's very well told. It was a harrowing story of a guy that terrorized Los Angeles County, mostly um, in the 80s, and sort of how the detectives uh, finally caught up with him. Really, really good until the, the very end, a real nail biter. Uh, also super dark. Um, I finished Surviving Death, which was very well done. I'm having the director, Ricky Stern, on next week, which I'm really excited about. Uh, to talk all about it. I started watching this series that's been around a while, but sort of discovered it on CNBC called American Greed. Um, I embarrassingly was slightly obsessed with Michael Avenatti when he came on the scene and then was very obsessed with his downfall. And so they premiered their new season with his story on, uh, I think it was Monday night, but you can watch it on demand. It was really well done. Uh, I mean, it's just sort of like traditional doc storytelling, but you know, if you like that kind of thing, I watched another one with that Anna Delvey, that con artist. Um, there's one with like Nexium coming up. So they have some good stories. And then I did want to recommend a podcast that I have grown to really love. And I'm, it's just sort of like a good antidote to these trying times. Cause it's just funny, which is smartless. It's the podcast hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. And they have a great chemistry. They're really good friends. They have on guests, uh, you know, celebrity guests, and then one of them sort of gets the guest and then they surprise the other two. And they keep it really light. I highly recommend the Marty Short interview. I was laughing so hard. Um, and they always stay tuned for their banter after the episode. For some reason, that's become my favorite part. And I also really love the Julia Louise Dreyfus and the Brian Cranston interviews. So I'm making my way through those on my morning walks and I recommend it. Okay. So the podcast today, a very special guest, someone who I've known for almost 18 years. And I also live with, it is my husband, Brian Clovis. So I never thought, I don't think either of us ever thought we'd see the day we would be doing a podcast together because he's an attorney who works in a very different field doesn't watch any of the trash that I watch. Um, so we found something. We found something to come together on for the podcast, which is his love of golf and deep knowledge of Tiger Woods. And I really loved the documentary Tiger on HBO. So on the podcast today, we will be breaking it down. And even if you don't like golf, which admittedly, I do not like golf, you will enjoy the uh, banter, shall we say, between Brian and myself. And uh, I highly recommend you check out the documentary Tiger on HBO. It's two parts. Okay. So I'm here with my husband, Brian. Hello, Brian. Hello, Lisa. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. So we're thank you for coming to our home to do this. Pleasure. <laughs> I usually start the podcast by saying how I know my guest. Uh, so we met almost 18 years ago in Philadelphia. And here we are. Indeed, that's true. Here we are in LA. So you might've heard of this podcast. I'm not sure if you've ever listened, but uh, we talk about, you know, unscripted content. Is it reality versus reality? Yeah. 
Exactly. Reality of reality, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've heard of it. Okay, good. Well, don't don't strain yourself to listen, of course. <laughs> we wouldn't want that. It's must-listen podcast material. Thank you. So, okay. So here's the thing. We, I thought, you know, who could I talk to about this documentary? Because who loves golf more than you? In terms of, there might be people in the world, but nobody I know, right? So I've been a golf widow probably as long as we've been together. And, uh, you know... It's been a road, but I, you really love golf. It's a huge part of your life. When did you start golfing? When I was seven. Mm-hmm. So you were a prodigy like Tiger? Mm, prodigy, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, I was decent, I think, from early days. Uh, I was introduced to the game by uh, a neighbor, a friend of mine. His father passed away when he was young. He was a couple years older than me, and he was in the United Way Big Brother program. His big brother was a big golfer. And they used to go golfing and I was kind of jealous and, you know, and envious and what's golf and that looks fun. And they took me out from that. was The first time I played, that was it. I knew I loved it and I knew I wanted to play and get good and, you know, become better at it and excel. And I knew it was going to be a, a part of my life. Okay. Just to get the golf out of the way uh, and for any golfers listening, what's your handicap? Just so we can establish that you're very it good. It varies like mm, usually around three or four. Right. And so for people like me who don't know anything about golf, that's very good. I mean, you know, the funny thing about golf, I mean, there are literally 10,000 levels, skill levels of players in the world with Tiger Woods, for example, being at the very top and the very bottom being really bad golfers. Right. So I'd say I'm probably in the top 20, 15, 20 percent, maybe 10 percent. But that top 10 percent is deep. So, you know, there are there are tens of thousands of people around the world who are better than me. Well, you are committed to it. You have more than 10,000 hours. I can vouch for that. <laughs> you definitely, I don't even know how many hours. One day you should try to figure it out. In my lifetime? I mean, I, yeah, yeah like, it's, it's years like of playing. Of well, it's years during my right. lifetime, probably. Right. At least a few years when you aggregate all the golf time. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, I want to dig into the doc. And you and I watched it together. We were both excited about it. Um, the only reason that I've sort of ever really paid attention is because to go, you know, golf on TV is because of tiger. I've always sort of been interested in him as a figure. I'm curious, first of all, before we dig in, what did you think of the doc overall? It's a really good question. Um, I asked those, I asked one that I didn't anticipate (laughs) because this is a podcast about the tiger woods documentary. Um, I, I thought that it was, uh, it was well, well, well organized. I thought, uh, it was very interesting it actually taught me some things about Tiger Woods that I never knew. So what were those? What were a few? Because I know uh, you were like, oh, I didn't know that. And there were a few things. So what were those things? Not too many, but I mean, I didn't know that he had gone so deep into SEAL training. Right? That was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. I didn't know that. I didn't know how, you know, I knew that he was in, at one point was really super into working out and a, right. a fitness regimen and that he had gotten bigger. I saw his, you know, his, I think it was a golf digest, but also what was it? Uh, Vanity Fair, whatever the, the, the magazine. No spread, men's fitness, but also Vanity Fair. There was a there was oh, a big okay. where he had his shirt off, and that you could see that he was really working out hard. And I I could tell from his playing that he had gotten bigger and wider and thicker. And um, so that that that, but but I didn't know about how deep he had gone into SEAL training, where he actually injured himself and put his body at risk. I didn't know any of those things. I'd say, and I didn't really know the full extent of his relationship 
with his mother and father in the sense that like, you know, I never knew that he had his girlfriend that he was serious about in high school where eventually they got into scuba diving and then his parents found out and made him break up with her. I didn't know those details that I didn't know. I didn't know the extent of their meddling and, you know, involvement in every aspect of his life. I thought that was kind of disturbing, frankly, and troubling. And, but it certainly helps explain why maybe why he did some of the things he did during his career over the recent, you know, five or 10 years. And it helps explain him also as a, you know, the, the, the extent of his commitment to golf and being successful. Uh, so, and, and the other, another thing I, I, I didn't know, which I thought was very interesting was there was a moment in the documentary where he's sitting with a bunch of kids at like a charity event or something. And they're all being, there's paparazzi and a bunch of photographers and, and film cameras and stuff, movie cameras. And they're filming him. And one of the kids turns to him and says, wow, this is crazy or something. You know, you know, um, is, is this something that you're just accustomed to? And he's, and he basically said, you never get used to this. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of sad, honestly, because he's, he's always, and you know, the scuba diving too, one of the things he seemed to love, he said he loved about it was, the fish don't know who Tiger Woods is. And I feel like the fact that he's lived his, most of his life in this kind of fishbowl um, is, is, is informs to some extent who he has become and a lot about, says a lot about what he is. Yep, definitely. Um, let's talk about, you brought up his parents and, uh, and, and I want to get into that because, yeah, I mean, look, I knew, and I'm 10 steps removed from it, but I of course knew about Earl and he was kind of like the Svengali who, you know, almost like in the, um, Serena Venus dad mold. But, um, you know, also like you had no idea the extent of his, I don't want to call it tiger dad, <laughs> pun intended, uh, because he was so far beyond. I mean, it was almost creepy in the sense that it felt like he was building, a machine not raising a son, even though they were quote best friends. So as a dad yourself and you know, how, how did you experience, I mean, did it make you uncomfortable? Uh, you know, I, I clearly there was some sort of, you know, level of intentional effort to kind of build a superstar. And I guess you could tell from an early age, the tiger had talent and he was going to, you know, I thought the things that were creepiest were, when he was talking about how, you know, Tiger was going to change the world. And it was almost like he was likening Tiger to like, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King or, you know, Gandhi or, you know, Malcolm X or something and how he was going to be this transformational character. That was a little creepy, especially when he was so young, when he was making these proclamations. However, I I also, on the other hand, thought it was his relationship with his dad was really sweet. And his dad was even though he was doing these things, he was also his best friend and they had a really close personal relationship. I thought the thing that was actually creepier was his relationship with his mom. Talk about that. Yeah, that, that was, I thought that was a little disturbing. That seemed to be the more the tiger mom kind of helicopter parent sort of, she seems to be the one that really drove literally. She not only drove him to golf events, 
but she seemed to be the one that who really meted out the discipline in that house. Well, yeah, I mean, I think just on the surface, she had a you know a coldness and a chilliness that Earl had a warmth. I mean, he was a, he, he was did. larger than life, and there were a lot of flaws. But but he definitely you know they hugged a lot. There was a lot of I love yous. I mean, she really seemed so distant and aloof and and cold. I think he was. I I got the impression that for the most part, from Tiger's perspective, Earl was like fun dad. <laughs> and it was almost like, and, and and I got that they seemed to have a really chilly relationship, husband and wife. Oh so my it was God. almost, it was almost, it felt almost like they were already divorced. Yeah. And Earl was like the fun parent in the divorce. And Catilda, his mom, was like the the one who was the, the disciplinarian, the enforcer, the the one who sort of clamped down on him when she thought he needed it. I mean, yes and no, but... I don't know. I mean, he took it real. Earl took it really seriously. No too. doubt. I'm not sure Tiger ever got. I'm not sure that a lot of that translated directly to Tiger. In in other words, Earl, if you broke him out separately from Tiger, he would and the things he would say and the way he was acting made it seem kind of creepy that he was sort of trying to build a champion. But the to the extent the clips are accurate, their interactions with one another seemed sweeter than his interactions with his mom. That that those seemed more like she was, and I, if I had to bet, I would say that that girlfriend in the episode where they essentially they forced him to yeah. write that letter breaking up with her, I feel like that was primarily the mom doing that, not the dad. That's so interesting. I didn't. I didn't. That wasn't my takeaway. I took it as they were sort of on the same page. It that, may have been. So talk a little bit about that. That was one of the more. I mean, there was a lot of sort of very sad, heartbreaking things in the story of Tiger Woods. That one was just, it kind of just destroyed me because I felt like that was it. Like that closed the chapter on any possibility that Tiger could have had joy that he really didn't get back till a few years ago. Did you take it like that? That's certainly how they cut the documentary. Right, well, I mean, that's they, they, There's no question they wanted you to have, to walk away with that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And they, they were successful in that regard. I mean, yeah. I definitely felt like that was a massive turning point in his life that there was no looking back from. Well, like, can you, for people who maybe haven't seen it or don't remember, can you just say what it is? What happened? Well, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they the directors in the documentary, uh, you know, uh, showed a number of, you know, not showed, but um, included in sequence a number of clips where Tiger was, you know, on home movies and photographs, was having a blast at parties with his girlfriend from high school. And they were like juniors or seniors, maybe. You know, and they they were they were dancing, they were singing, they were laughing, they mm. were having fun, um, and then they told the story about Tiger also starting to get into scuba diving with her. He was getting close to her family, and he was sort of, you know, engaging in this other life that his parents didn't have complete control over, uh, and, and they. And and so he was telling them. I guess he came home. He was excited. He was telling them about scuba diving. I think that's how it happened. And they were they, their reaction was just kind of a one that seemed like they were in shock, and it was like it was like horror. It was horrific to them that he had this other thing that could where he could get hurt, uh, where he was with other people, not them. It seemed like they weren't okay with him having a life outside of them and golf. Yeah, I mean it's classic. You know all the. Other kinds of work that I do, you know, I learn about a lot about this coercive control and, and grooming and stuff. There's so many parallels with 
like the isolation piece that you're talking about is the firm grip they had on him as far as controlling him. And part of that is keeping you isolated from the outside world. So you don't lose that grip. Again, I mean, we're basing this on a two hour, no, like (laughs) a three hour or whatever it was. Almost four. Almost four hour documentary, which is, you know, includes only uh, clips and video and footage selected by the directors to tell their version of the life of Tiger, his story. So I'm sure that, it's not entirely capturing everything that happened, but if that documentary is accurately portraying the highlights and lowlights of his upbringing, his life, I mean, it was really sad. And I, I agree that it did seem like he was almost a prisoner in his own body, in his own family, even though he may not have realized it because he was so young. And brainwashed. And so brainwashed. To some degree, to some probably, extent. yeah. Well, um, I was reading an article about uh, about the doc and it said that that girlfriend, I'm spacing on her name, that she was really, she's never spoken out publicly and she was really resistant to doing the doc. And, and, and then the article went into, uh, I think it was an interview with the directors and they were saying what surprised them more than anything was even the people um, who, you know, like he basically shunned one of his longtime friends at some point after the whole debacle. Um, yep. he, you know, uh, Steve, Steve Williams, is that the name of his caddy? Yes. He, you know, they had a big falling out, which we'll talk about in a minute that, that he was very reluctant to talk. So even the people that he kind of burned bridges with guard him and his image and his life, you know, very sacredly, which I thought was interesting and, and sweet. I mean, there's a loyalty there. There are very, there appear to be very few people, very few, a very limited select group of a few people who have managed to somehow maintain their their personal relationships with Tiger Woods for an extended period of time, sort of indefinitely through present. His agent is one. Um, Mark O'Meara, who was a mentor to Tiger when he was a young golfer and on tour. They, I think they would travel around a lot. Their wives were friends when he, after Tiger became, was married. They lived in the same community at Isleworth in Florida. Um, oh, but, that's the one whose wife was interviewed, right? Correct. Yeah. And so was he, Mark O'Meara, for oh, a very brief oh. moment. They were very good friends. But, but Mark O'Meara is probably, you know, 15 years right. Tiger senior, at least, maybe 20. But for the most part, Virtually everyone else, at least the people that were profiled in the documentary who were interviewed on camera, uh, pretty much none of them managed to stay the course and maintain their relationship with Tiger beyond a certain point. And I think that that to a great degree, if that's an accurate, again, depiction of his life and who he is, I think that a lot of that's about him just, uh, you know, sort of uh, kind of not. I don't know how we, I don't know how to describe it. Like I think that I think that also is a product of how his parents handled him, and it's so that he was only it was the, it was the two parents and him essentially against the world, and even to the extent where his mom during junior tournaments and other PGA tournaments would rag on other players and to Tiger at the event. I mean, it was it, it, it they were clearly setting it up his personality so that it was basically them tiger against the world even people that were close to him eventually they weren't his parents so they weren't on the true inner circle that's interesting and i think that ability to cut 
those people off cold turkey is yeah. part of they talked a lot about the compartmentalizing. Clearly. I mean that you know, and that's why he's so good at golf. And he's really good at that. They've taught him they taught yeah. him to be that's really a, good right. at that. You like it's like you, you it's a skill. You have to keep honing. It's learned behavior. Yeah. And that's sad too, because he can't really feel. So sad. I don't know whether that's entirely true, <laughs> yeah. but But it, I'm, you I'm can sure kind of see it. And his face and his body, you know, for uh, years. I'm sure it interferes with one's ability to to feel real emotion and to, you know, have true, genuine relationships with other people. I feel like the only time until the very end uh, that we really saw emotion two two times when he would win, he seemed genuinely joyous. And when his dad died and sort of those memories that came back about his dad on the go, you know, when he just sort of broke down and he was hugging Steve Williams and crying and he wouldn't let go. Like Steve was like, okay, you know, and he just kept hanging on. And I was really moved by that. He was the best man at Steve Williams's wedding. So Tiger. what happened there? I mean, it, it, it's, that's you know, his caddy. By there the are way. a couple of books even that have been, there, Steve Williams wrote a book. Uh, about and, Tiger. And, and, and by the way, yeah, about his relationship with Tiger and the dissolution of their uh, you know, their, their, the, his catting relationship and all of wow. it. I mean, about all of it. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, he, he, that Steve Williams is not the only caddy who Tiger has had during his PGA tour career. When he started playing, he had a caddy named Fluff Cowan who had been on tour for a long time. He had caddy for a guy named Jim Furyk before he caddy for Tiger. Was Steve the longest? Steve was the longest, and he was also the one who was there during the Tiger heyday, really. Right. But, you know, for example, it's not the, the, these these severed ties, these kind of impulsive divorce or dissolutions are not limited to his caddies. He also did the same thing with teachers, with swing instructors. He's had probably six or seven different swing instructors during the course of his career from junior days through now. Uh, and he... He, and I think it's I think it's part and parcel of his ability and his, uh, you know, sort of the way that he has to compartmentalize things. I mean, he, he works with a teacher and God forbid the teacher should ever say anything negative or there be, ever become a public statement. He, he has no problem, it seems, cutting them off the knees immediately and just moving on in a kind of a cold and calculating way. And that that seems to be part of the way his parents built this kid this champion well, right and, and and part of that also is probably you can't get too close to people because they leave I mean, you or they hurt I think you that's part of it you know so if you keep everybody either cut them off or keep them at a distance or keep rotating i mean look at look at his marriage so let's just go there so what year was that i couldn't place it was it 2015 2013 mm, when what? when he drove the car into the pole and and everything fell apart i i want to say it was the early teens I, i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna guess well, we're gonna get this teens. right i'm gonna look yeah. it up why, why we're talking so uh, it, it was somewhere in that range okay so let's talk about because he made his comeback his big comeback he made two comebacks one before that happened and one after that happened i think the one after that happened started in 1718 and the one before was like maybe 2010 11 right. so i think it was in between those i I want to say 13, 14 ish. Yeah. Okay. So basically well, let's back up. So he had this double life and you being kind of, you know, you're, you're golf, you're celebrity golf adjacent. You hear things, you know, people. So you were hearing for years before it all broke 
you know, rumors about him in Vegas and maybe cheating? Like, what were what were what were the whispers on the golf course? I, I, I to be honest, I, I I know people who know Tiger. I know people who know people who know Tiger. So it's like you know, once, twice removed. I never heard any specific stories about him cheating. Although the, the reality is that you know, there 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 the list of rumors about professional golfers dating back to before Arnold Palmer uh, is is long in terms of, you know, extramarital affairs. I mean, the reality is that back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, Palmer, Nicholas, I mean, these guys, there there were no there were no ways to track people. There were no cell phones there. So they, there was no real true accountability. So these guys were on tour. They were traveling and, you know, I, I think it was a very different era, a very different time. And Tiger, to a great degree, is an extension of and a continuation of that time on attrition. And by the way, it's not limited to golf. Well, obviously, but but the distinction to me, like Michael Jordan, right, like a lot of pro sports. but Magic the Johnson, is, Michael Jordan, Will Chamberlain. But a I mean, lot of those guys, I'd say most of those guys... Their image wasn't the same. I mean, Tiger was very invested in that family man. I love Elon, my kids. I have this great family. I'm squeaky clean. I mean, he had a million endorsements. That was very, that's why it was so shocking when it happened. I think more than your average scandal. I wouldn't say that Michael Jordan didn't cultivate that image. I mean, be like Mike and uh, right, you know, but not Air the mar- not the marriage part. You rarely heard about Juanita or their ma- or kids. I mean, it wasn't even mentioned in ten episodes of The Last Dance. I mean, I know they're divorced. But I feel like Magic I mean. Johnson also little, had very squeaky clean image. Yeah, a little bit more. You know, he was he was he was a successful businessman early right. on. He yeah. he seemed to manage his life fairly well. He had it all together. And after basketball, he was you know he was involved in the NBA. He was involved in you know he had ownership interest in the Dodgers and the Lakers and a variety of other things. And there have been a number of athletes athletes like that. I mean, unfortunately, it's it's it, it's become it it historically has been a big part of at, you know professional sports culture. Uh, I think it's becoming less so now, especially with how accountable these guys are and how many cameras are following them everywhere they go. Right. So it's more <laughs> it's difficult. Hard to but get away with getting stuff. back to your original question, I, I I don't think I ever heard anything about Tiger uh, cheating. The stories I had heard were, were from before he was married. They were from him in Vegas, five o'clock in the morning with a few women, you know, gambling at, you know, blackjack tables, poker tables, whatever, playing a variety of craps games, casino games, and uh, just people being surprised that even back then he had this image of like this sort of clean cut golfer from Stanford, yet he was there at five o'clock in the morning when he had to tee off at eight o'clock and at the PGA event at Las (laughs) Vegas, he's out there gambling. So there was always that. Okay, we were totally off on the dates. Actually, the whole thing was 2009. There you go. It was way I thought it might have been a little bit earlier, yeah. I remember, because it was Thanksgiving weekend, and I remember, you know, us turning on the TV and being like, what the hell? And knowing, because remember how it unfolded? First, it was he crashed into a pole. All the mistress stuff didn't come out. That started unfold over the next couple of days. But at first, it was like, it happened and you knew it was something out. You're like, something more is going on here. I think it, it became pretty clear pretty quickly. Yeah, well- once it broke, it was it was so shocking because again, a cheating scandal is a cheating scandal. Happens all the time, but the amount of mistresses and they they depicted that you know in all its glory in the doc. I, I thought it was actually bordered on salacious a little bit. Um, you know, they had the guy from the National Enquirer who was really a hard pill to swallow just as a human, um, and that's where you were you were getting really annoyed when we were watching because I mean they're just so sleazy. Well, he t- I thought he talked more about. He, he, they seem to bring him into the documentary to talk more about 
that first story right. that they ended up killing. The catch and kill. About, right, the catch and kill story about where he was, you know, they, they caught him having an affair with this other woman who I think was also a waitress at like a Perkins or something. Yeah. And uh, that they were able to kill in exchange for Tiger Green to do the cover of uh, Men's Health magazine, which was owned by the same parent that owns the National Enquirer. He, I thought that talking head guy from the, the former reporter for the Enquirer spent more time talking about that than he did the later story where when that broke, every media, every source covered that. It wasn't just the National Enquirer at that point. It was, it was worldwide news culminating in his ridiculous press conference. Oh, God. I mean, it's cringeworthy to to watch it today. I mean, I was cringeworthy then. And in fact, that, that press conference comes up occasionally when I talk in meetings or whatever about, you know, celebrity scandals and like how to handle a scandal, handle a scandal as being probably the worst example of a press conference from a celebrity. Yeah. And and I would say it's not, it's not for lack of, you know, extremely high priced, you know, uh, legal and, you know, PR and marketing talent that was advising him and, you know, sort of ushering him through this scandal. I mean, he had the best of the best and they dropped the ball. I mean, there's no question that, you know, him just falling on the sword publicly and that press conference with his mom there and all these friends and everything was just, it was just, it was painful to watch. I mean, rather than just at some point, taking control of the situation and basically issuing a press release saying, look, this is private. It's no one else's business. We're dealing with it privately. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you respecting our privacy or something like that. Right. Yeah. That Spectacle. was, that was, yeah. And listen, I mean, ultimately it didn't really, I mean, look, the image thing we talked about, right. So it was a, it was a, it was a brand rub, so to speak, where, you know, it really went against yeah. kind of what he was holding himself up to be. He lost a lot of advertisers, a lot yeah. of sponsors. Yeah. But Nike, they never pulled Nike out. Nike right? never wavered. They, it's funny. They didn't talk about the sponsorships and who pulled and, and uh, again, I I mean, Tigers lived a very active and public life. I mean, you could, you could do what they did for Jordan with Tiger. You could have a 10 part, you know, document or however many parts it was, you know, docu docuseries, but they chose to do it in two now, parts. I bet you anything that's in the works because probably the fact that the directors did reached out to him from day one and he said, I have something else. And again, that could just be bullshit. But my guess is you're not Tiger Woods and not going to document your life somehow, you know, when you have Netflix doing 10 parts here or ESPN and Netflix doing 10 part series. I mean, he's, he's an icon. I mean, there, there's no way he's going to let this be his legacy. This wasn't very favorable to him, frankly, other than, you know, marking his golf accomplishments, which are incredible. I think for the most part, you know, my takeaway- was less than flattering. Yeah, I mean, look, and again, I'm not a, a golf person. So as just a, as a documentary watcher, as someone who enjoys a good story, like the takeaway for me was like 90% super sad and like, oh, he seems to be happier now and I'm happy for him. Well, I mean, you think about the Jordan docuseries. Ugh, my favorite. Well, it was great, but- <gasps> How was, dare you? It was great. I, I loved it too. We right. watched it together, right? Oh my God, so we loved it. It was great, but they didn't really spend very much time talking about Jordan's personal life. I mean, they touched on it. Oh, barely. They touched on it. But they, that's because Jordan was involved. That's what I'm saying. So, oh, right. Exactly. Right. So th- this is where I'm agreeing with you that I think there's a good chance if Tiger gets to control his story. Right. 
and the way it's told, then it'll be focused almost entirely on golf. <laughs> right. And it'll still be interesting. And it, I think he'll go there with his dad too, but it'll just be a different Probably. lens than what we saw. Right. It won't, won't make you, it won't make you sad for Tiger. Yeah. It'll make you, it'll make you think you wish you were Tiger. Right? Do you think he watched this? No, I'd say no. He has that kind of self-control. <laughs> with some things yeah well yeah uh, right. I exactly mean, maybe not with his, uh, sex i feel life, like but yeah maybe he was watching at like 3 a.m when i don't know I, I i don't know i wouldn't need the curiosity kill the cat i mean come on perhaps but i mean he, you know he's i mean he he's not been embroiled in just one scandal he's been embroiled in two right so so let's talk about that so are you referring to the dui thing that happened years Wait, it later? wasn't just the dui it was the breakdown of his body right physically okay. all the surgeries he yeah. had and the drugs that he had to take as a result of right, being in all that on the pain, pain both before and after the various surgeries. And then eventually, after a couple of years on the shelf, his comeback. Yeah. So I want to go back to the first scandal for a minute, because one of the things that always bothers me more in retrospect as I become sort of, you know, more woke in the last four or five years. About, that's not possible. <laughs> no, believe it or not, it is. I don't agree. I just said to another person I interviewed today that we've all been brainwashed by the patriarchy and we're still recovering. You're the wokest. Thank you, honey. I think our daughter might be the wokest at this point. She's a woke junior. <laughs> She's, I'm molding her in my image. Well, you know, look, I think they really, and I say they, sorry, the media really slut-shamed Rachel Yucatel. I mean, there were other mistresses and the, obviously they exploited everybody. I mean, the, the New York Post had a, had a field day as they do, but especially Rachel. And I'm not saying that Rachel's like, you know, a, a feminist role model or somebody that I even want to be friends with. But at the end of the day, and I think she even said it in the doc. I mean, look, it sucks that she cheated with someone she knew was married. Absolutely. Like, I'll judge and her. And then lied to that woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was gross. They like orchestrated a phone call together where she was like, Elin, I'm not you know, fucking your husband. Right, so basically. not only did she cheat with a married it's man, gross. but then she lied to the wife about it's it. It's gross. But at the end of the day, Tiger did it. Like, and so, you know, the fact that she was hounded relentlessly and, uh, basically became, I think she got what she deserved. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I don't, how can you say that though? I, I, I agree that he's the one with the marital commitment, but she's, you know, she deserves to get to blame. Torched, I mean, but, but, but by the press, if you have an affair with a married superstar, a worldwide, worldwide phenomenon athlete who everyone in the world knows, especially given that you know that he's cultivated this image of like, you know, this family guy, the squeaky clean, you know, sort of, you know, golf phenom from, you know, rags to riches to some extent, you and 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 then and then your relationship becomes known you have to assume that you're going to be absolutely hounded by the media and she was and I, i'm not i i can't believe she was surprised by that or you know no one's going to like it and she didn't she didn't like it she doesn't like it but you get in you get literally get into bed with someone like that <laughs> right you that you i mean I, at yeah. some point you get what you deserve you know all right fair enough well listen i will say on the other side of this she did capitalize on it for all my reality TV lovers. I watched her a full season on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Oh, I didn't Drew. Know she was on that. Okay. For sex She's a drug addict? She's a sex addict, bro. Sex addict. Uh, so she definitely milked her 15 minutes. And, you know, I guess good for her. She needed money uh, after probably not being able to be employable. But th what I want to know about uh, what your take is, because I don't think we talked about this. 
you know, he had so many mistresses. Uh, he was having so many affairs, so many balls in the air, so to speak. Um, do you think, I mean, I think she thinks that he truly loved her. Do you think she was special and that he actually like had, you know, really did love Rachel or was this just, yes. he had an ability to make everyone, every woman feel like I that? Think probably some of both. I mean, I think he had probably feelings for her, but he mm -hmm. clearly had an ability based on the interviews with the other women to make each of them feel like they were special and that they were, you know, special to him and that they had a special relationship that was that was unique to them. I think a number of these women felt like they were the only ones he was having these had this relationship with. Um, I'm not sure how many of them knew about his wife, but I mean, they know he's Tiger Woods. I mean, you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to know who that is. So all you have to do is Google Tiger Woods to know that he's married. So there's right. no one out there that can say they didn't know he was married. So I don't feel badly for any of these women. I mean, when you have an affair with a high-profile celebrity who's married, who who has this image of a family man, and it becomes known that you, that he's sleeping with you, you're going to... It's going to impact your life. You okay. know, welcome to the real world. Yeah, no, you're right. Fair enough. I, I feel you. I want to know how, and, and I wonder if you think these two things are related. Like, I always think there's a correlation. I think we've talked about this before of like highly successful people also, you know, having these fatal flaws, but, but it all being sort of the same coin that like, because he's able to operate at that incredibly high level in his golf game is also the way that he's able to balance, you know, 15 women at once. Like you're a guy, like, you know, you're not the Man. most organized, you're not the most organized person I know. Like, are you able to keep 15 women that you're having active affairs with straight and like still play golf at the highest level? Like, how is that even possible? I don't know about playing golf at the highest level, but I think <laughs> I am able to keep 15 women juggled between. Okay. When are you seeing them? Because I'm in the, well, that's how good I am at it. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I'm, apparently I'm very organized when it comes to keeping track of all the <laughs> Honey, women that I'm seeing. with all due, you don't even keep a calendar. <laughs> exactly. Aha. Uh -huh. So there's uh, no evidence. There. Now I get it. Yeah, you see. Perfect. That's how it works. No, but like, I'm, I'm being serious you. though. So, like, is right. there something there in that, you know, is he smart? Like, I actually don't even know the answer to that. I yeah. know he went to Stanford, but obviously for golf. He's got a lot of golf intelligence, that's for sure. But do you think he's a highly intelligent person? I don't know. I really don't I can't don't tell know. either. The press conference would indicate no. <laughs> but I mean, that was a prepared state. Oh, the fact that he even had. Well, just, it, yeah, but just yeah. The, the way he presented the information, the, yeah. it just didn't seem like he had a lot of native, you know, sort of intellect, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um but I don't know how smart he is or not. Mm -hmm. uh, he seems like he's bright enough. I mean, he's probably not, you know, solving uh, any, you know, calculus equations or anything. But uh, I, I think he's probably, you know, as as PGA Tour players go, he's probably on the higher end of the spectrum in terms of intelligence. That would be my guess. Right, right. And is he like over... And, and, uh, and by the way, yeah. by the, by the way um, I think that I don't agree that um, this, his ability to kind of, again, compartmentalize these women uh, and these relationships is something that is, you know, would be a common link between him and other, you know, greatest of all times or superstar athletes. I think it's unique to his ability to compartmentalize uh, and he learned at the foot of the master. Yeah, I was just going to- His gonna, father was, right. you know- 
someone who was a, kind of a clearly a serial uh, philanderer. Know, cheater or philanderer or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, they talked in the documentary. There, there was a whole, yeah. you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 minute segment where they were interviewing uh, his high school girlfriend. No, the Tigers, uh, one of the one of the golf pros that oh, helped right. Tiger along was like a coach of his when he was younger. And he was also the golf pro at the club or the course. I think it was a public course that Earl and Tiger played when Tiger was little. And they talked about how, you know, Earl had this like Winnebago or whatever it was, like a trailer of some sort. And while Tiger was practicing, Earl was, you know, making time or helping to give lessons to these women, you know, students, golf students, pupils, and they would hook up in this in this trailer along with the golf pro also hooking up with some of these. Oh women. God, that upset so, I mean, me. I think I was confusing that part. Now I remember that, but I was, I was confusing that with at one point, at one point when he got older, I guess in high school, his dad was like doing it in front of his face and he's like, don't tell your mom. And he called, didn't he call his girlfriend bawling, sobbing? I remember him calling There was something sobbing. about that. They didn't really treat that very, very much in detail, but that reminds me, I mean, that that's so disturbing. That reminds me of Joe Jackson, Michael Jackson's father, because apparently he used to right, molest, sleep with he, women, oh. well, sleep with women, he used to have adjoining hotel, like a suite. And the Jackson boys were in one part of the suite. And he was right there with these women who they were, he was cheating on his wife with. And they knew exactly what was going on. And he did it anyway. That, that, was, that, was, that was probably the darkest part of the documentary. I can't even go there with the Jacksons. But back to Earl. Yeah, and like you said, you said it perfectly. He learned at the foot of the master. And frankly... Um, the, you know, the pathology for me is when I analyze it is like you, he, he was so horrified. Tiger was so f horrified by his dad's behavior, you know, blatantly doing this, um, you know, violating, uh, his, you know, his marital vows with his own mother. And then he, tries to separate from him later in his career and then he becomes him. He, he was, he, he, he became him. What I thought was also, that all happened for sure. And the documentary does a decent job of tracking that, but I thought it was also very interesting and they didn't really spend a lot of time on this. They probably could have treated it in much more detail and maybe one day it will be treated that way. When Tiger was first kind of, you know, on the PGA tour scene early days before he was married, they, and and Rachel, you could tell, and, and this this woman from Las Vegas, a club in Las Vegas, who was a hostess, who was a VIP hostess, talked about experiencing, encountering, and, and dealing with, interacting with Tiger at the club that she, you know, that was part of the casino that she was a hostess at, and it was her job, along with some other women, to make sure that these VIPs were taken care of, and so Tiger would be hanging out with Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley at this club you know, bottle service and all those things, plenty of women hanging around who are trying to connect with athletes. And Tiger was still relatively young and he didn't understand any of this stuff. He was still kind of innocent. And they had a, you know, a piece where they, they said Tiger asked, so I forget who they were in. Michael Jordan. Well, yeah, but I forget oh, who was who telling told the story. Him? I don't remember either. But he was maybe a journalist or something. Um, but that he was talking to Michael Jordan because they were together at this club. And he said, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know what to say. What do you say to these women? He said, just tell him you're Tiger Woods. 
Yeah, that was very. So he was. It, so it wasn't just Earl Woods. Now it's these, yeah. you know, arguable. I mean, they're older well, like, than yeah, Higer by twenty years, but, but like big brothers, p- kind of peers, yeah. of maybe fifteen years. Well, and older. people that he probably idolized. I mean, indeed, you know, no question uh, about who, it. Who are, who are and they're encouraging him, him to right. engage in this behavior. Now, it wasn't just them that was that were doing. It. I mean, these VIP hostesses, these casinos, everywhere he went. This is before he got married. He was encouraged to kind of you know become a playboy and act the part of uh you know greatest of all time athlete. You know? Yeah. I mean, you and I sometimes differ on these things, but I'm going to say that for me, looking at it from the outside, I think it was pathological. I think he has an addictive personality and, and gene. So I think the women and later the drugs, alcohol, or maybe all consecutively were, uh, and it were really, uh, about numbing the pain that the more, you know, sex he was having, the the more he was lonely, the more companionship. That was all just ways to soothe the pain because he was in this type of sort of psychic pain. I, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I yeah, can't I mean, weigh I'm, in on that. I, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that he may be a sex addict. I'm not sure about numbing the pain, but... But all addictions about numbing by the, the pain. By the way, by the you way, know? just to be clear though, he there's no evidence whatsoever other than when he was rehabbing from his surgeries and in tremendous amounts of pain. And that's well-documented just in watching the golf coverage. There's, there, there's, I don't think there's any real evidence that he ever became addic- addicted to any substances. Ever, well, listen, ever. listen, I mean, okay, fine. But when the whole thing went down with the, with Elon and, and the, the car, I mean, he was, he was at the very least on Ambien and listen, I don't judge. I take a sleeping pill almost every night. So you know, but it is addictive. I mean, I'm, you know, he needed it to fall asleep. I mean, Rachel said that too. Like he, that was, he admitted he took it. I mean, he was clearly, he had trouble sleeping. I mean, I think this was a guy who was in pain, you know, physical and emotional pain a it, lot of the time. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I can't weigh in on that. I don't have enough information and I didn't see enough in the documentary to support a thesis on that. But <laughs> I, I do know that that second kind of life crisis where he was pulled over because he was, was you know, he he was on all these painkillers and uh, that was, I've I've only had one surgery, two surgeries, but they were consecutive within a, you know, a month of one another. They were for the same thing. So I do know the impact of painkillers and and Vicodin, you know, those kinds of things because you're forced to take them. You're in so much pain. Uh, So that was clearly the effect of those drugs in his body, which I think they even talked about in the documentary. They did a toxicology or whatever, and they figured out exactly what he had taken. And they're all painkillers. They're all drugs that are in that same classification category. So I I don't, I don't know that he ever abused those. I mean, it's certainly not a good idea to take them and and it's bad judgment to drive drive on those, but I don't know about addiction, drug addiction. Yeah. Well, he did go to rehab. I mean, he did clean up a- after that. I think some of that was for show, honestly. I think some of the that the rehab was done in conjunction with that press conference. So I'm not, that was like was like a sex addiction rehab. That wasn't a drug addiction. No, no, rehab. no. After the DUI in um, 2017, you have to do that as part of your uh, right as part of your. Uh, but you, you know, can sentence. just tell, like you know, the last ten minutes of the doc where they showed him sort of coming back after all of that. He looks healthy. He looks happy. He looks like he's turned a page. Did you feel that way too? I mean, you watch him in real time on golf television or whatever it's called, golf TV. What do you call? Frankly, frankly, I think that his life would have. I mean, 
I think he wanted to be a father and he wanted to have yeah. kids and he looks like he seems like he's a terrific dad and he has a, looks like a loving relationship with both of his kids, which is sweet. I think that maybe he wasn't cut out to be married. Uh, I think that maybe he should have given some consideration <laughs> to having children without being married. Uh, maybe having a girlfriend and having kids with a girlfriend because he just doesn't, at least that during that period in his life, yeah, it seemed like he wasn't particularly well equipped to be loyal and uh, and and you know a, a a dutiful, loving husband, and that more of his uh, focus was on his kids and having kids, yeah. than on his wife, yeah. That's and that's part of the reason why I think they talked about this. He used to tell um, Rachel, you could tell or whatever how much how much he loved just talking to her about anything. <clears throat> and I think at one point <clears throat> he said he couldn't do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Want water? He said he, um okay. <clears throat> he said he couldn't do, he felt like he couldn't do that with his wife. Or that's something that he couldn't do without with anyone other than Rachel. Yeah. Which probably wasn't entirely true, but <laughs> right. But I feel like he did it, it it she did make it seem like he was very much at home with her. Yeah. Which may have been true. Yeah, I wondered about that too because, um, like you said, it could have just been a line. But also, um, I wonder if he felt like he had to be a certain way with Elon, and he couldn't sort of just be himself. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know either. We're not yeah, inside. We, we, yeah, there's no documentary about his marriage. <laughs> what do we know about Elon now? Anything? She other than she's super rich. <laughs> right. She had a third child. Oh, she did. Mm-hmm. Good. She seems really sweet with a. Former, don't say like, golfer. No, a soccer player maybe okay. or so, former professional athlete. I want to say he's German, but he could be Swedish. Okay. Forget. And uh, they seem to have a very nice relationship, and I don't believe they're married. I think she's uh, just had a third kid. Uh, she got a, a very handsome. She deserves it, but she got a handsome settlement. You're very attracted divorce. to Elon, correct? She, She's, uh, I mean, I, I find her very attractive. I wouldn't say I'm very attracted to her. Okay. I think she's a beautiful woman, but okay. not particularly my type, if we're going to be honest about it. But Let's be honest. Clearly a, 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 um, an objectively beautiful Gorgeous. person. Gorgeous. Yeah, physically. All right. So in conclusion, let's circle back. Let's come full circle on the golf of it all. So like he won, he came back, made this incredible comeback, won the Masters in 2019, we talked about this a little bit after the doc ended, but like, where do you, how old is he? Where do you see his career going? Like, is he going to be the goat or is he already the goat? Well, I mean, it depends on how you define goat. Uh, he ha- he defined, be- well, he defines yeah, it I, as the most. I, I believe one. he now has the most uh, professional wins of any golfer in the history of golf. So I think he just eclipsed a guy named Sam Sneed. I believe he was number one and now Tiger's number one. So that's one measure of greatness in golf is how many tournament, how many tournaments. Right. But not his measure. Well, it's it, but, 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 but no, when they asked him, he said he'd rather have, yeah, the, 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 the gold standard in golf set by Jack Nicholas is 18 majors during a professional career. And that's objectively what most, people in the golf world believe is the ultimate measure of greatness in golf is how many majors you win. And the majors, there are four. There used to be a few more than they, because they used to include amateur, a couple of amateur tournaments as majors, but for, you know, the last 80 years they haven't or something. So the majors now are the masters, 
the U.S. Open, the PGA Championship, and the Open Championship, which used to be referred to and still sometimes is referred to as the British Open. Okay, Those so, are the four majors. Okay, and got they're it. Four, and they're, one, they're so each what once he, a year. So what does he have to, how many more does he have to win then? Four to tie, uh, three to tie, oh. four, four, to, uh, four to eclipse Nicholas's record of 18. And he's 44? He's he's either 44 or just turned 45. Okay, so realistically, he could do it. He could, but Nicholas won his 18th major when he was 46, and that was it. And I but don't Nicholas know- is fi- Oh, no, no, I'm thinking of Mickelson. He's right, fat. Jack Nicholas. Right, right, Jack Nicholas, right. right. <laughs> okay. Who was, who was, it was sort of started his professional career like kind of late 50s and was his, his heyday was like 60s, 70s, and like the early 80s. Got it. Essentially. Right, right, right. Okay. And okay. so, so that's Tiger. So, can Tiger do it? Well, he did win the Masters in 2019. Amazing. He seems to be fairly physically able and fit again. He's kind of retooled his swing so that it's less. Uh, you know, puts less, uh, uh, imposes less pressure on his body, um, his joints, his knees, his shoulders, his elbows. I mean, golf can be, it's not a contact sport, obviously, but your body is put into certain positions that yeah. strain your various ligaments, your limbs, your your joints, etc. Can he win... Uh, Four more to take the ultimate to take the all time record, he can, but I don't think he will. I mean, he's he Nick, like I said, Nicholas won at forty six. I don't know that there have been I don't know that there have been many other professionals in the history of golf who've won major tournaments after the age of mid to late forties. Hmm. So there may be one or two. Um, it's going to be difficult. He, the U.S. Open I think is out of the question because the courses are the the, the you're not going to know about this, but maybe some of your listeners will. I don't know the way they set up the U.S. Open courses because it's a different course every year, and they rotate about 20 different courses. They grow the rough up like four times as high as it normally would be. So if you hit it in the rough, the strength required to advance the ball anywhere near the green is monumental. It's really a young person's event. You also have to drive it incredibly straight, which Tiger doesn't always do, and. Uh, so I think, and, and the courses are ridiculously long. I think he's not going to win a U.S. Open. He's not long enough anymore. There are guys who hit it 60, 80 yards past him on average off the tee. He's just, I don't think he's going to compete. The Masters, however, that's his ballpark, and he can win again. His game is suited to there. He can also win the Open Championship again. He's probably not going to win a PGA or a U.S. Open because of all the things I described. The PGA is, is set up just like the U.S. Open. Long, narrow, high rough. You know, big ballparks, big golf courses. I think those days are over for him. But if he wins four more, if he wins four more Masters, combination of Masters and Open Championships, and I, I give him like four or five years. If he doesn't do it by the time he's 50, it's unlikely he's going to do it. Wow, I can't believe I just paid attention and understood everything you just said. I'm so proud of myself. I saw your eyes glaze over. A little bit, but I followed it. Something about rough. Roughs. You're not <laughs> sleeping. I know that. I'm not sleeping. But whenever That's like I, ambient for But you. whenever I do want a bedtime story, I do. That would be a great one, right? Yeah. But I used to let you like that, you know, because I don't like falling asleep to the TV on. But if it was Golf Channel, I said you I could, could do that. I could probably recite that verbatim again on demand. And I could give up my Lunesta. Is that what you're saying? Perhaps. Okay, good. I like this. This yeah. is uh, this it's cheaper. It's cheaper and less addictive. Safer. <laughs> Safer. 
But is it's it less- way more boring? Probably to you. <laughs> Maybe not to some. <laughs> but I have to say, overall, this was not boring. This was not a boring podcast. I, I hope not. I I enjoyed speaking with you. I I hope we can speak again. I've barely seen you the last ten months. It's good to you know reconnect. <laughs> well, I am a trial lawyer, so it's all my litigation work that's keeping me away from you. Um, you're right. That's a joke. We've been up each other's asses for the better part of the year. And I think uh, well, I litigate out of my home office, which is about <laughs> 20 feet from your home office. Exactly. We're divided maybe, by maybe 200. We're feet, divided but. by stairs. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much. Um, you're a great guest and I, I appreciate you breaking down the tiger documentary, which everyone can check out on HBO and HBO max. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap here? No, it was, uh, this is obviously a passion that I have for golf, and it's anytime I get a chance to talk about golf, whether it's Tiger Woods or otherwise, I relish it and enjoy it. And uh, you're not going to po- compliment the podcast. What's that? You're not going to compliment the podcast. Oh, the podcast is fantastic. I already <laughs> did that at the beginning. But you know, I, 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 do I, it again. I'm thinking. Uh, do it again. I'm, I'm thinking like Maud did for the Jeffersons <laughs> and uh, Good Times. That maybe. I could spin off my own golf discussion podcast off of reality of reality. What do you think? I think if you do that, I want to cut and credit. Lots of credit. Because Brian's moving on up <laughs> to the top. Wait, Ma- the Jeffersons wasn't a spin off. Oh, to you're saying Maud was a spin off of Fish and the Jeffersons was a spin off of Archie Bunker. Thank you. I got both uh, Well, but also, yeah, but um, uh, the mom on Good Times. Yeah. She was two two seven. No, was I think the I think Florence was the mom. Flo, was it Flo? I don't remember her name on two two seven. No, no, that was later. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was later. Right, Uh, uh, Florence Evans. I think that was her name, and she was. I think she was, I want to say she was the Jefferson's maid at one point. Oh, really? On the Jeffersons, and they there were a bunch of seventies and eighties sitcoms that spun off of one another. And Maude was those a, were the good old Maude's days. Maude was one that spun off. All right, some with things. Rue McLanahan and then Golden Girls. I mean, it's all a straight line to the Golden Girls, Wait, well, right? Well, I mean, there's, there's part of that, <laughs> but also the Jeffersons. Yeah, um, Archie Bunker. Of course, the Jeffersons. I think were the cleaners on 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 right. on All in the Family, <laughs> right. and then they got to spin. There were oh about good times was a I spinoff know. of sorts. So yeah. many good. Sp- God, those were the heyday of sitcoms. All right, but that's a different no podcast. question about it. Um, I'll, I'll rejoin for that down the road. Yeah. Well, you have to go eat dinner and uh, I have to post this. So happy inauguration day to you, my love. Indeed. This is the dawn of a new era. At I least will, for four years. At, at least I'll be a happier wife, right? Happy uh, wife, happy life. That's right. I was hoping you'd say that before we concluded. I said it. Thank I you. meant so, it. Thank you so much. Thank you.